Um, I had planned to preach this passage for several weeks, uh, but then we got into a debate in my small group about this passage. And so this may be a two-week or three-week uh, sermon because we spent a couple of weeks with it. And I'll have their names and email addresses after the service, and you can complain to them uh, because of the way they've spurred this on, okay? But especially for today, for Confirmation Sunday, what I want us to do is really just look at the, con the, the conversation that was going on with the disciples and Jesus. And we'll come back to what happens with Peter after that. But I want us to look at what, what the disciples' response was when they see something scary in their lives, but then to hear what Jesus says to them. We look, we look at a, a, and here's part of the reason I do that. I've been a part of too many student groups. I've been a part of too many women's Bible studies. I've been a part of too many men's Bible studies to know the power of words of what was not spoken into your life, but also, sadly, some things that were spoken into your life that should not have been spoken. Words matter. I had somebody in this room worried about uh, a former student of mine and said, Barry, I want you to make a contact with them. That Their child is going through a health crisis. Would you check up on them? And so I made that call, trying to just check up on one of the former students in one of my former youth groups. Just trying to be a blessing, trying to encourage them uh, this week. Here's what I got instead. Thank you for calling, Barry. I just want to make sure you know it was you. I said, what are you talking about? It was on a night at youth group that I responded to the gospel for the first time. That's where I made my profession of faith. And part of my prayer was, and I don't know how he gets to this point, but he said part of my prayer was, Wherever Barry's going to be, I want to be there. How do you walk away from a conversation? I came to the conversation to bless and to encourage him. I was just, I was lost on that phone. Having somebody speak a word from something that happened 20 plus years ago that I didn't even know about in his life. I knew that he had grown. I knew there was a moment in his life where he had turned it over to Christ. I had no idea. But it's just like God to come and say the things that we need to hear at the times we need to hear them. And these disciples desperately needed a word from God because of what they saw on that water and the way that they got confused. And it's just like Jesus to speak the words that we need to speak to us at the times that we need to hear them. All right. Now, let's look at this situation. You know this well. Crash by waves. The, wind, the winds are contrary against them. And we get, get caught up in the miraculous nature of Jesus's miracle. How could it be that somebody could walk on the water? I don't think that's the bigger miracle. I'm wondering how in the world he kept doubting and demanding Peter up on that water. That's the greater miracle. But that's what I get caught up in, is what I can see. And I think the deepest miracle in this passage is the heart of God, the character of God put on display. This doesn't just speak of the power of Jesus. It speaks of his compassion and of his goodness and what he wants to speak into his disciples' lives when they're having a difficult and a time of struggle. It's easy for us to keep our eyes on the, on the water and, to, and to, see the, to sense and feel the winds. But oh, the character and heart of God that's put on display here for us today. Okay, so we're going to look at that, and next week we'll talk about Peter's response, but also our response. But let's look first, look, verse 26. What's the first thing said in this conversation? They cry out, it is a 
ghost. And let me just say for the record now, for you people who want me to defend Peter, it's not Peter that said that. They said it, right? It's the disciples. At least Peter gets out of the boat and tries to walk on water. We'll deal with that next week. But, but they all cry out, it's a ghost. They're frightened. They're fearful. It actually says it twice in this passage. It's also nighttime. Admit it. Tree in your front yard, not that scary during the day. You come home late at night, it can get a little scary. Anything at night gets a little bit scary. And then they're out on the water. We'll talk more about that. But if you see what you think is a ghost coming, how many miles per hour can you add to your boat by paddling with your hands trying to get away from a ghost that can walk on water, right? So this is a terrifying situation, not just the winds are contrary or the waves, but then you've got this spiritual being that you don't understand, and they're terrified. Some of y'all went trick-or-treating recently. Let me tell you something. I had the most terrifying experience, and it's not associated with trick-or-treating per se and the scariness of that tradition, but I was five years old, and my mom had made me the most awesome costume there ever was for Halloween, okay? It was a robot. She had taken two cardboard boxes, cut some holes out of them. She made me a, a, a robot head, cut some eyes out and a mouthpiece, and then cut, cut out some arms and made a, a cardboard box for my body. And in that box, she had all these gadgets, spray-painted it silver, even had a coin slot. I got a couple quarters out of the deal. People wanted to put quarters in that. Here's the issue, though. Five years old, wearing that thing, and the box for my head, though, is not exactly tight to my face. It's a bigger box, and the eye slots are pretty small. Well, if you're walking on a sidewalk in Pennsylvania that's got broken places in it, and your, your box is out this far, in the, and you can't... I could see about five to ten feet out is all I could see. Broken spot on the sidewalk, bam! It's okay, I'm going to get candy. Another broken spot, bam, on my face. And then we get off on the curb, you, you miss a curb and you fall. But the best was this, most of the homes in my neighborhood where I grew up, they had porches. Walking off of those porches, it was like super slow-mo as I would fall. I mean, we're talking three, four steps of me just splatting right on my face at Halloween. Bruised, maybe a, a little bloody, Every time I took a step, I was praying. It helped my faith. Oh, please, Lord, please. Thank you. Oh, please. You're right? But I wasn't stopping because there was candy to be gotten, right? We all get scared. You may not want to tell that guy, friend, coworker, or buddy of yours. You might not want to tell your friend group. It may be hard for you to confess that. These disciples were frightened and fearful. Now, why was it? First off, they, they really don't have any context for a, a ghostly figure. Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. Pharisees do, but they've got these weird superstitions. We'll get to that in a minute. And then this idea, maybe Saul consorting with the dead, but we know we're not supposed to do that. And here's the dead walking out on the water. So you've got all that kind of fear in their life. And then you've got them just a few chapters from here going up to Caesarea Philippi that Jesus is going to take them, and you know there's, there, that mountain's dedicated to the god Pan and these two ghosts, so they're going to have to deal with that then. Uh, um, no wonder they are fearful. It's interesting. There's no report of fear, though, when they get to that mountain at Caesarea Philippi. By the way, even that mountain had, and it wasn't right, 
but they can't even believe that it had the doors that went to hell, the gates of hell there. But there's no mention of fear in the disciples' in the disciples' response then. And I wonder if it's kind of like here. When Jesus isn't in your boat, you're scared out of your mind. But you get Jesus in your boat, they're immediately at shore. The importance of having Jesus near. And that's what we're going to talk about as we close this morning. But they're fearful because they have no idea to put a context around what's this spiritual figure coming to us. And listen, guys, it's important for us to take every thought captive, as we've talked about in confirmation, for you to be sharp on what you believe. I talked with a businessman in Jackson recently. And he said, I don't really know if I believe in the resurrection, but I know my dog's in heaven. Well, God bless him for believing that, okay? But how do you get there if you don't believe in resurrection? It's critical for us to own our faith and to know why and what we believe. And here they are wrestling with how could this ghostly figure be coming out there? And then this other reminder, too, of... um, Jesus, just like Jesus, and Jesus will do this in your life. We'll talk about this in a couple weeks. He's taken them to the other side of the lake. Matter of fact, he tells them to go alone. And Jesus will take us to the other side where in that culture, in that day, in that geography, that other side has scary stuff. That's where those demons are cast into the pigs. That's where there's all these rumors of wild things happening in these pagan people. It's just like Jesus to take us to people who don't know him and to tell them about the good news. But that's scary for them, out on the boat, already going to that place, and then I got this ghostly figure. But even here's the kicker. They're over water. As our choir said, our Savior has pulled us out of the raging sea. Okay, But for them, just the physical water was scary. They, they knew the Old Testament that clearly says the Loch Ness Monster was in the Sea of Galilee. Well, they might have called it Leviathan. They didn't know about Loch Ness yet. But they, they had all these weird superstitions, too, about the water. And they even had weird superstitions about what happened when you died. And if you died at sea, for some of them who believed in resurrection, your bones would be separated. How are you going to be put back together in the resurrection? They were just scared out of their minds just because of the water, let alone all this ghostly figure coming at them. Fearful, frightened. And sometimes we can let fear, even superstitions, get the best of us. Right? Um, They bring all that to Jesus. And it's just like Jesus. Their imagination's getting the best of them. And maybe reality's getting the best of you. Maybe there is something that should be rightfully just uh, pressing you. A deep concern. And I love that Jesus, in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of even their superstitions, in the midst of their all crying out, what does Jesus do? He walks right into the middle of that situation. Whatever situation you are in that's placed you in fear, whatever situation you are in where you're struggling, oh no, would Jesus show up here? Jesus will walk right into the middle of that at exactly the right time. He does that for them, and he will do that for you. And then listen to the very end of this conversation. What is it that he says to them? And it's words that they need uh, to hear. The first thing he says in verse 27 is, I need you to take courage. Now listen, that's not what I'm saying. If that's me, and I've walked out on water, and I've I've been discipling them for years, the first thing I'm going to say is, 
you bunch of cowards. I'm letting you go out on this boat. You've seen me do all these miracles, and I'd question, look, you call yourself the sons of thunders, James and John? I'd be doing the chicken dance right there on the water with them, right? Picking on them. Jesus looks them right in the eyes at their point of need, their point of fear, and says, you can take courage. You can take courage. And the reason you can take courage is, I'm here. And when he says, I'm here, it's interesting, the Septuagint, when they translate this, it basically means, I am is here. Meaning God himself, because Jesus is. As we've talked about in confirmation, Renee and Sheila and, and the people that have walked with you, your mentors have told you, Jesus is the second person of the Holy Trinity. God in flesh, so that he might give his life for us. God himself was on that water and with them. In their fears, in their questions, in their struggles, God was there. And then what is it that God says? What is it that Jesus says? And he says the same thing to you that he's going to say to his disciples in just a few chapters after the transfiguration after the resurrection in fact scripture says it 365 times you don't have to be afraid you don't have to be afraid whatever it is in middle school or in high school or in college thank goodness peer pressure stops when you're out of college right thank goodness fears stop when you're out of college we all deal with this and isn't it just like Jesus to walk in where we are and say a word that needs to be said to say i'm with you and to get into our boat or as john 1 would say in john 1 14 basically he moved into the neighborhood he got in our world with us and he'll do that for you, you can count on that i told this story once before at this church but i'm allowed to, i'm allowed to two times on any good story all right i will not tell this story again but just to close it's a true story i heard when i was in college i was at a youth retreat and it's a true story about two friends who were serving together, uh, serving overseas in Europe, and uh, were kind of in like a trench warfare situation. And so they're serving in a trench, and if you know anything about that, I mean, another trench could even be 50 or 100 yards away. If you've ever, ever heard the term no man's land, that's where we get the term. It's the area between the trenches. Because if, if you don't have air support to help you, you kind of got to sneak across no man's land, try to disrupt things, and then they'll send everybody else across that area to try to take the trench. Well, these two best friends were serving together, and one of them got picked to be on this team that would run across no man's land. Well, you're, you're basically a sitting duck. They're just waiting for you to come out. But he's picked to be on this team. And so he jumps up out of the trench when, whenever the officer said go. He jumps up out of the trench with that small group of guys, races across no man's land, but they were waiting on him. They saw him. And he gets about halfway across, and he gets gunned down. Well, what does his best friend do? His best friend immediately tries to get up and out of the trench to go get his buddy, but he just happened to be standing by that officer who grabbed him and pulled him down and said, son, where do you think you're going? Well, I'm going to go get my buddy. I've got to go get him. Son, if you go out there, you're going to waste your life. You stay here. No, no, you don't understand. He's my best friend. What you don't understand is I'm your superior officer. This is an order. You stay right here. Yes, sir. Well, in the chaos of that moment, the officer's dealing with all these other things. He turns to deal with them, and what does that friend do? He climbs up out of that trench. He races across no man's land. He grabs his buddy and pulls him back into the trench. He would get shot several times and would die a day or two later. They fall together in a heap back in the trench. 
And minutes later, the officer turns and sees them there, races up to him and says, son, what have you done? I told you not to go out there. You're going to waste your life. Look at your friend. He's dead. Look at you now all shot up. You're probably going to die too. Son, you have just wasted your life. What a waste. That young man looked up and said to him, sir, my life has not been a waste because when I got out there, do you know what my friend said to me? Do you know what he said? I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come. As bullets are flying and people are dropping, he was able to say, I just knew you'd come out in this mess and get me. We've heard sung to us this morning, the raging seas, you just, you came and you got me out of that. And that's what he does for us in our salvation, right? Right? We're in sin, we're in rebellion, yet God saves us when we come to him with a broken heart and cleanses our heart, claims us for ourselves. But listen, he never stops coming to us. His promise to his disciples in John 14 is true for you and it's true for all of us this day. I promise you this, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. He never stops pursuing us. There are things in life that might rattle us, but the promise and the, and, and the, and the life that we see here in Christ Jesus on that sea is the same as it will be for us today, tomorrow, and always. He will always come out to get us. We can know and say, I knew you'd come. Praise God for his goodness to us, that he comes to us whenever we struggle. I'm excited for what the Lord's going to do in you, for the commitment you're making, for what the Lord's going to do through you, but also for how the Lord is going to stay with you. Amen? Amen.